Welcome to the Enterprise Excellence Podcast, where our purpose is to help create a better future. Learn from our world's experts how to improve your organization sustainably. Learn how to achieve and sustain an excellence journey for yourself, others, and the planet. And I'm your host, Brad Jevons, coming to you from Brisbane, Australia. We are proudly brought to you in association with SA Partners, a world-leading business transformation consultancy. SA Partners are a truly purposeful company focused on helping organisations achieve sustainable improvement for themselves, others, and the planet. Welcome to episode 43 of the Enterprise Excellence Podcast. It is such a pleasure to have Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth back on the show with us today. Gwendolyn is a leading researcher, author, and coach on workplace visuality. Gwendolyn shared her backstory and knowledge on how to achieve excellence with frontline teams deploying visual workplaces in episode 18. Today, we are going to explore her work on visual leadership. Let's get into the episode. Gwendolyn, thank you so much for joining us again. It's such a pleasure. Entirely my pleasure. Thank you. I'm honored to be ah. speaking to you again. Gwendolyn, I gained so much from the first episode and um, I'm just so, you know, amazed and so pleased to have you back on. Gwendolyn, can we start with a great leader that you've known in the past? Like, who, who has been a great leader that you've come across in the past and what made them great? Yes. Several come to mind. The first one jumps right out is Joe Case, who was the head of Freudenberg NOK during very tumultuous times, just when uh, JIT Lean was being put into place. He was he, he was a big man, big and burly, and he had a, a lot of voice. And uh, you listened when he spoke, but he was also a gentle giant. Yes, Joe Case would be the first person, and though yeah. I didn't meet him, similarly, Winston Churchill would be the second. Oh, <laughs> but yes. I've, I've read so many of his books that I feel as though we know each other really well. Yeah, I could imagine. So, so Joe Case was a really big, powerful man, but he had this real soft, amazing approach about him too. I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't characterize it quite like that. He had moments when he could be... Uh, personal, present, polite, I didn't mean to give you three Ps, um, and um, moments when he could not be brooked, when he was the volcano, yeah. and he was pouring out on you, and you, and you listened and listened carefully. He was, he was agile from that point of view. He could do both, most of it by choice. Some of it was, uh, were moments that he didn't pick that simply came came that way but he was an amazing leader at a time when the the plants i'm sorry i i'm not prepared to tell you whether it was 40 plants or 400 but nok supplied uh small machined parts uh in one of its division and that's the one i knew in cleveland georgia and they had a really smart visual production floor that was there before I arrived. I, I was amazed at the cleverness of it and the way they got their production to work. But Joe required that of all of his uh, plants. And um, the feel is that if he said, go over that cliff, he would go first and you would follow him without hesitation because it would be 
an important next step. Yeah. So it yeah. really sounds like the workplace had that faith and trust in him, but he had also a strong balance of strength and power when he needed it, but also collaboration, engagement, personal yes. approach. You didn't have a choice but to be collaborative <laughs> and and get on board, but you wanted it mostly. And I and I don't like the rubric, I don't like the label of passion because for me passion is almost out of control, but it's more uh, the kind of uh, the breathing of a dragon when he's not spitting flame. You felt his capacity. You felt his capability. And he proved it to you again and again. He was a brilliant leader. Uh, right. I don't know uh, enough about what he did with the other plants. And he only visited uh, uh, Cleveland from time to time, Cleveland, Georgia. Uh, but uh, people were passionate about him. It's a very interesting profile. Yeah. And Gwen, it sounds like he was very dedicated to improvement. Like he sounds like a chap that knew where he was going. It was like, we're going to go there. Completely. It was, it was hardwired into him. He would, he would brook no defeat. It was always keep going, keep going, keep going, keep thinking, keep uh, investigating, experiment, you know, when you're around someone who actually uh, burns brightest when he is challenged and gives that to others, you want to do it. It's another person who comes to mind, I didn't work with him, is Elon Musk. He's gotten a lot of bad press, because, and, uh, as Steve Jobs did. Steve Jobs, I think, uh, uh, is a somewhat different case, but Elon, Elon Musk is is so extraordinary in his vision and his vision is so big. I'm thinking of uh, Falcon Heavy and what he did, just the fact that he required those those engines to be recyclable, that you had to use them again, is such a requirement that would just break your brain to imagine it. But that was the only way that he could make it cost-effective to go to start creating traffic to the moon is use use it as an airplane not as a disposable so you know when the plane drops you off in uh san francisco new york or paris it comes back so you can use it again that's the business model but for him to bring that fiery business requirement to his engineers, people just came alive. And of course he had enormous resources to put behind his vision, but the vision, which came first, the wealth or the vision? Yeah. I don't know. Mm. But those kinds of leaders are not the kinds of leaders that we are actually promoting nowadays. Yeah. We are not, you're not putting that competency or that vision first. Let's just, Let's separate for the moment so we can make a few points. Executives from managers and supervisors, though they both have a decided leadership role, the executive, there is a kind of order of magnitude. And if the executive has vision and has harnessed his vision to his will, you've got the beginning of greatness. And then you 
and then you turn to your managers and supervisors and give them a slightly different assignment, one that is, if you will, in a following role, but never not a leader, never not a leader. Well, Glenn, that, it's a key um, segue into the key topic I was keen to talk to you about, and I guess vision plays a massive part in that, is, you know, what was it that led you to discover the work you're now doing on visuality and leadership and helping and using that to help an organization achieve excellence? Yeah, thank you for the great question. What is it that led me to it? Well, first of all, um, I am so interested in visuality as a language and its uh, ability to liberate people. I've seen that on the shop floor when you liberate information, you liberate the human will. Those words, when you liberate information, you liberate the human will, has been the most compelling vision for me, this captured will that so many of us drag to work, or we leave it in the, in the car with the, when we go into work with the window slightly cracked so it's alive and kicking when we, when we finish our, our daily grind. Yeah. But the idea that people would come to work and bring their will and feel that it was theirs to use and then enroll in the corporate intent uh, was a great seduction for me. I wanted to find out how to do it and do it repeatedly. So what, what happened to me is that I did work that really I was quite awestruck at the result of bringing visuality to operators. I, I, had, I knew it was going to be interesting and useful, but I didn't know it was going to be transformative. And when it turned into transformative, I mean, I've been doing 5S since 1984. Count the years yourself. I won't say yeah. them out loud. But I've been doing it a very long time and failing for a very long time. And then I uh, hit upon this thing about listening to the angry, sweaty American men and women who didn't want to do 5S and listening to their their pain and their and their will, and developing this uh, element called I-driven. And it opened everything, because I had the entire resource of the person and of their internal resource became available and became available to a pathway that I could design. And so we did that with operators. And we also did it with supervisors. And then I saw that the supervisors were stopped and the managers who had gotten on board without getting the senior guy. And uh, Ron Page, who used to, came from the aluminum casting industry, was one of my first experiments. I had worked with some senior leaders before, but with Ron Page, I posited to him, what would it be like if you became a visual leader? And I presented to him what's called the Operation Systems Improvement Template, which is the house. And I said, would you, he said, I'd like to learn. He said, you kind of blindsided me when you said I wasn't that good an executive, but if you've got a way to make me better, I'm listening. And, and I walked him through this kind of temple or house that began with the customer, the vision, the mission, values and beliefs. 
it's very organic, but it's a template. And it's like the house of Toyota, but it has legs and it walks and it talks. And there's so much to say about this. Ron, I met with him and I came back a month later and he had had his model shop create a three-dimensional house. He was so excited about it, but it was made out of plexiglass. It stood about two or four feet high and it was a house. And inside, it was a man climbing a mountain. It was was a piece of art. And he said, look at this, Gwendolyn. And I I thought, what is that? And what have I done? And he said, this is it. This is the way. And he was on fire, very ready to go. And oh, he's a great natural leader. But when I saw that he was able to organize his will around the structure, I thought, there it is again. Visuality is physical. Visuality is about structure. Visuality is about structuring information into the physical living landscape of work. Leaders can do it too. Wow. Gwendolyn, I love that story. So really, you went from bringing in iDrive into the front line with visuality, and then Ron Page got on board to be able to engage with you. And I love that you took these critical elements. Like It's been written about so often that what, what is the vision? What is the purpose? What is the values? What do they mean? But with your background and skill and visuality, you help Ron make that visual, make well, that unique, create that you, in a way that people see, people take notice of. That's really powerful. You know, I, I'm always a little shy to have it phrased in quite that way because I absolutely feel as though visuality is a gift that I've been given. And, you know, what do you do with a gift that you've been given? You give it back, right? You yeah. look at it and you say, wow, I love this. Hey, wouldn't you love it too? But this, the thing is, the thing that kind of, that experience was very telling for me because I saw the eye-driven jump out from an executive leader who was already capable. He had been brought to this plant, uh, Hitchcock Industries, to turn it around. It was in, in deep trouble. And he asked me to come in so that he had the army of operators. And then this presented itself. But the, 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 the negative premise around my own entry into visual leadership, the I-driven executive leader, was all of my encounters with Wharton graduates and Harvard Business School graduates who were, pardon my use of the word, limp. They were just limp. And, and they had the credentials and they could move the numbers, but they didn't know what they wanted. They didn't know who they, they didn't know. They couldn't complete the sentence, I want, which is, by the way, a sentence that I give now to, uh, to almost everyone. How do you complete this sentence, I want? Because we are so schooled because of the particular uh, political correctness, socialization paradigm that we are captive of, to be polite first before we know what we want. And it just turns us into vanilla. You yeah. can't leave vanilla. No. You've got to leave. Yeah. yeah. You're talking the difference between a shotgun effect where everyone's off going all over the place to being really targeted and really focused with that, aren't you? Like you need to know where I want to go and where do we want to head 
before you can start talking to anyone on too much else. Otherwise, you're going to have chaos. And you know what that requires in terms of um, process? It requires that you face a, for, I'm just have this, okay, so there's the house, okay? Nice. You face a two-dimensional object that has architecture on it, and you try to fit yourself into it. You fill in the pieces. If you get this from corporate, then you deconstruct it and you, you have to make it your own. You have to hear your own words, how you fill it in and whether or not your vision matches the corporate vision. And if it doesn't, how are you going to sell your vision to corporate? How are you going to say, this is the piece that I want to pursue. It is a part of what you want. This is how it fits. I feel this is a very important part uh, for us to be talking about. It means that the executive sits by him or herself alone at one o'clock in the morning or at 11 o'clock until one o'clock when it's really quiet in the house or in the neighborhood. And you just you just splat yourself on that page and you tear it up. I had one executive. This is the first step of visual executive leadership. The second step is the X type matrix. And I had one executive, I gave it to him in December. I said, look, let's talk about it at the end of January. You've got plenty of time. Enjoy your Christmas. But let me see your rough draft of this. And he began to negotiate and get very busy. And then around May, he said, could we just, could we just go to the X-type matrix without my doing the, the template, the OSA template? And I said, nope. I said, your reward will be the X-type. And that is the only way because he was doing the X-type completely wrong and he knew that I knew it and he kind of got a sense. He knew it wasn't working. It was, you know, first of all, it was printed on and hanging on the wall, printed and all the words were printed and no X-type. You have to make it editable, like cross it out and put some other words in. It's a dynamic instrument. It is your instrument. So these two-dimensional structures are very important, and there is a sequence. And the, the part of this is more than buy-in. It's getting clear. And yeah. it's saying, this is what I stand for. Yeah. And then you translate it, if you will, into uh, a process through the X-type. And then there's a few things down the road, but these two-dimensional, uh, these two-dimensional forms are so powerful, and and they teach us if they're good. And this particular one went through seven or seventeen iterations, and now I stand by it. Vision, mission, values, beliefs, strategy, macro metric. Most most of the time we have vision, mission, customer, blah blah blah, blah and tools. But we don't require uh, the step down. We don't require, for example, naming what the metric is. And of course, there's only one metric. Well, there's actually two of them. One of them is time, your time-based strategy, agile And the other is information. There's a third metric, which is the utilization of time for improvement. But mm-hmm. when a senior leader understands that, he is Joe Case. I, ha- I can name you 15 right now politically correct leaders 
who instead of leading, manipulate. Yeah. Because they have to be socially correct. Yeah. And I'm thinking, what a loss. What a loss. That, yeah. I mean, these are turbulent times. No one is politically correct. Everyone is their own form of insanity. And we're asking leaders who are living in, the, in these forces to somehow neutralize themselves, their passion, their identity. Then what do they have? to help the organization with. They're going to be managers. Yeah. Managers. Yeah. From, the, from the Latin manus and aberde, which means to handle. And as it came down through the French and the Italian, it means to train horses. Yeah. I think that's really... Have I told you that before? I'm no, Gwendolyn, that's, that's, that's a classic. I need, to, I need to look that up and understand that more. But yeah, it's so it means, true, isn't it? it? It came into it came into English, meaning to train horses, and then was adopted by the business school because somebody didn't know. Yeah, there wasn't a word. Let's take the one from training horses, but it's it's so true, Gwendolyn. From what I see, is that if a leader hasn't taken that time to be eye driven mm. and create that template that you've you've told us about, they're either having to micromanage and drag people around. Or you also can get laissez-faire, where laissez-faire, I should say, where everyone's just off doing their own thing, and the the whole thing's just chaos. Yes, yes, the whole thing has is vanilla. Yes, I mean there are leaders who are gifted who have not had a chance to demonstrate their gift, but they're still doing well. But what would it be like? One of my, I uh, was talking to a group actually in Australia trying to understand the feel that comes out of operators when they're really free to, to understand through pretty much engineering principles what's going on in their area and then to invent and create along the structure of learning. They're learning and they're doing, they're learning and they're doing. And it's very much, my father was a handicapper, not a successful one, of, of horses, of thoroughbreds. And I was around them in my youth, and I used to see them run, the thoroughbreds at Monmouth Park. Mm. When they ran, no one needed to whip them, especially yeah. if another horse was in the race. They loved the race. They loved the stretch of their legs powerfully moving them forward and the wind in their hair. And they won because they wanted to. These were stallions. These were were amazing beings, creatures of great strength and great heart. Yeah. Are we less than that? Yeah. No, (laughs) No, of course we're not. We're not. The age of great leaders is not over with, but we do have to find our way back. Yeah. Well, I love this, Gwendolyn. So if I say like, just like with eye driven at the front line where it's what do I need? What do I need to know? And then what do I need? And then thinking, what does someone else need? It's the same with leadership where we need to have the strength and courage to go, what do I need? You know, and then then having also then the humility to take that to others and get feedback, but then help them do I, I need also and form their house of strategy and, you know, vision, mission, 
yeah. value alignment, yeah. Yeah. but it becomes their own, but it's aligned to the top line one. So you're sort of describing Gwendolyn this cascade yeah. that can vary and tweak, but stays aligned to the top house. That's right. That's right. If when we liberate information, we liberate the human will, and that is graduated based on what your function is, what is your role, where do you contribute? So what do I need to know? What do I need to share on the operator level is, 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 is exactly calibrated to that operator and that specific operator. We liberate that information. He or she liberates it. So when that happens on a senior level, suddenly the executive who has been given a job and has some background can own the situation, however bad it is. And if it's a good situation, then he can, she can say, let's grow. We've got enough now. Let's grow the company. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a very heady experience. And when you see this, when you see men and women in suits suddenly turn in ablaze with a vision that they own and they want, then all of the resource of cleverness and using tools is at their service. Yeah. And an executive, by the way, will say, I'm making the decision with your input, but first with my vetting of which type of problem solving is going to come into my company because I want us to tackle this. And the metrics, let's review the metrics. Let's talk about driving. And that's another thing that I want to say. I want to make sure, however long we have, I don't know if it's a half an hour today or if it is, then we're almost done. But the role of the executive is to decide and drive. Decide and drive. She can't decide until she knows. So she has to investigate and really know what the lay of the land is. And you can't drive unless she's communicated a clear vision and inspired others to want that vision. Now you're ready to drive. Yeah. Otherwise, you're deciding and driving in all sorts of directions. It can be depending yes. on the, the week's flavor or what's noisy at the time versus having that clarity of vision of where we're going and having that constant energy towards it. Yes. Yes, I agree. I agree. Wow, it's powerful. Wendelin, what... What challenges do organizations face in implementing this? Like it, it sounds, it sounds so simple, doesn't it? Where, you know, take that time to be eye driven as a leader and define these critical things and then get feedback on it and then help others be, you know, eye driven and define how their vision, mission, core value strategy metrics link to the top. And create that ownership, but also that accountability. All right. So let's just make a small adjustment before the second thing you said gets too cemented in place. When an executive uh, wants to become a leader, this is the process. The process is eye driven and it is internal and it is that person. And we allow them, if I can say the word allow, one other person to be a sounding board. Yeah. But he doesn't seek feedback. He says to his direct reports, now you do it. 
Now you do this. Yeah. And when you've done this and gone through the pain of sitting from 11 to one and giving me, you can get, you can talk to one other person, but that one other person can't be doing this at the same time. Gotcha. So, so that people, but because that's the grooming ground for executives, executive, if executives really understand that it is their decision and they'll receive inputs from qualified uh, collaborators. That means when you do the X type, and this is the way I do it. And I've been, what I've been very successful at is creating fierce leaders who can be a barracuda on the inside, always hungry for lunch, but on the outside have a political correctness, a social correctness that makes him or her approachable. But when push comes to shove, that leader knows how to do two things, knows how to say no and knows how to say yes. But here's the thing, Brad, how do I say yes to the few and wait to the many? How do I say yes to the few and know why and wait to the many and know why? That's the heart. That's Sophie's choice. You're going to, you have limited resources. Yeah. So you have to, if you really want to become an executive leader, you're the decision maker. Yeah. And you need people who, and that's this slight correction. It isn't that they give feedback. They give their own vision. And yeah. the leader says, holy cow, that's amazing quietly to themselves, or holy cow, I'm in big trouble. That's not even close. I got a lot of work to do one way or the other, but you have to, you have to show the eye. You can't be afraid of it and you can't, you can't sell. You have to align. People yeah. have to enroll. And then help and then others align to it. Yes. And the enrolling in your vision, uh, this is the Kuzas book, Kuzas and Posters, one of the best books ever written on leadership. They're in their second or third edition, but I, I read them when they first came out. Big red fat book. And they said, people don't uh, align in your vision. They don't enroll. They see that your vision is close enough to theirs for them to be okay letting you and them seek the same thing together. Mm. But it isn't they don't enroll in your vision. It's just that your vision looks good to their vision. Yeah. So that's the acquaintance that is made, which I really love because it, we've completely taken out of the conversation the power of the human will. Yeah. It is given to us as a source of power. It's, it is. The, it is stardust. It is the, the volcano within. It's more than a spark. It's our engine. And we've been made to feel ashamed of it or to use it only when we leave work. But it's our creative source. It's our great power. And mm. I have it and you have it. So that means we can't possibly be enemies. Yeah. Because you're as powerful as I am. Yeah. <laughs> you got the, it too. And the great thing you're talking about, Gwendolyn, is that really through this process, you are, you are empowering people in the way that they're looking at the vision and they feel your passion and they feel your energy as a top leader. But then they're able to form up their their house their vision mission and values and behaviors and everything that links to that so you then create that passion and drive and ownership and accountability as you go down that's right and that conversation takes time that conversation is the pause okay you've got your house or you have your x-type i have mine now 
let's find an alignment. The executive leader needs to give that time. And at some point, he said, he can say, she can say, you know, I, I love your thinking, but you're two years ahead of me. This is what we need to do this year. And we're going to go in this direction. And when people feel that they've had a chance to say it and you've received it, that's what's satisfying. It doesn't have to be now. You're the leader. I want you to make the hard decisions because you're the executive. You're the executive. And I don't know which is better, but it's going to be you hanging off the limb there. And I'll follow you, but you're going to, yeah. you're going to go first. Yeah. It's so exciting. And, you know, we learned that in World War II, in the great, in really, in the last great war, which is a different kind of horror. But people lived on an edge where leadership mattered. And it was individual leadership, but it was also the great leadership of Roosevelt and Winston Churchill. And in the reverse, uh, Hitler and his cohorts, his uh, angry ghosts. Yeah. And it's that burning, that time of burning platform that creates that motivation and drive dramatically behind this, isn't it? And it's not as if at the moment we don't have enough burning platforms to be looking at and working towards going forward. Yes. Whether you talk yes. environmental or whether you talk economic risks and concerns. You talk healthcare. The, the great leaders who have come forth in the healthcare industry, in the hospitals, and who have, who are already in a life critical business and then having to deal with other decisions. I mean, we have in this country and I think around the world a new crop of leadership because of COVID that has been uh, forged in, the, in those fires. And we can expect great things. I, I believe that, that the fire of the last year and a half and whatever we're facing uh, forward, that we, we have been tempered and tested and we will be able to make a success of it because this has changed us. I, yeah. I know that you feel it. Yeah, and changed I feel us it and, and built leaders. So that's where these leaders who have led through this time, if they can understand how to then, as things come out, use the eye-driven model to help the leaders below them form their aligned plan and the leaders below that form their aligned plan and create that drive and energy like you described so well with the horse race. You know, create that energy and drive forward is a very big opportunity. Gwendolyn, what would be your enterprise excellence two-minute tip on this topic? What would you say to people to focus on, to look at, to understand going forward with this? Executives, you mean, or everyone? everyone. Uh, executive leaders, managers, yeah. Well, we haven't even touched supervisors and, and uh, managers, so let's just say we'll have another conversation whenever you're ready. But for executive leaders, yeah. Um, I actually will bring something forward from managers, from managers and supervisor, kind of that 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 profile. That we really need a title change. That when we think of leadership, we have to think of leadership as a process or a, um, um, a role identity that goes all through the organization, that we, the two-minute tip is change the title. Change the title of your managers, 
and your supervisors and call them leaders of improvement. Just change their titles. And, and I hope we have time for me to share where this idea came from because it was yeah. a, a moment in my life. Please, Gwendolyn. But, but it's executive leaders of improvement and then leaders of improvement and then self-leaders. Self-leaders is on the value-add level. Truly self-leaders. Yeah. It's not anarchy. It is a seasoned, full, har harmonious, uh, powerful organization. It's the power in empowerment. So you want to know where that came from? Yes, please, Gwendolyn. I took my first study mission to Japan, and I was in the uh, meeting room, boardroom of Akibono Break, uh, a tier one supplier to Toyota. This was, ah, 1985. Ooh, what wow. it was. It was 1985. Yeah. We were... We were exploring Japan, trying to figure out what was happening. And I had a group from Dana University with Roger Hornischweger as the lead from, from uh, Dana University. Great guy. And Roger, if you're out there, it's time for you to say hello to me. It's been years. We had gone through this amazing tour, a tour where we saw a woman change over nine machines in two minutes and 10 seconds. Wow. But in fact, when we looked again, Roger said, no, come back. Look at, watch. She's, she's putting the new model in place as she's making that final piece. This changeover of nine machines took zero. It was all one touch. It was just astonishing things like that. So everybody came into this boardroom and we were, we, we, we knew that we didn't have the mental, emotional, and spiritual capability to understand what we just saw. And we were asked to ask questions. <laughs> so my group just reverted to, you know, like a rubber band. What's a question? Like, what just happened is, is the question. What the heck was that? But the question was, what's the ratio between supervisors and operators? You know, that same old dreary question. What's the ratio? Yeah. And the plant manager, and I, I can see his face, he was, extraordinary to look at um, but I don't remember his name I regret that he said um, we don't have supervisors so we're speaking in a foreign language so we put our heads together well what what other words can we use well how many how many uh, supervisors how many people do you have managing your operators and the same man said, he said, we don't have managers. And so hold on. And there was a huddle with the interpreter. And, and she said, I have no idea what to ask. I don't know what he's talking about. Better ask him what he's talking about. So she did. And so she said, sir, we don't understand. Can you help us, please? We don't know what word to use for supervisors or managers, but we're trying to figure out how this works. And he says, we don't have any supervisors or managers. The only thing we have are leaders of improvement. Yeah, that's powerful. <sighs> yeah. Alan, that was 40 years ago. Yeah. You understand? Yeah. And you, and, you, and you saw the outcome on the front line. I did. That stayed with me. And I said, someday I'm going to be able to use what I learned in those three, four minutes 
to do something that will make a contribution. And that is really, I began working with supervisors with this idea of becoming a leader of improvement. And I grouped managers with them and then from there worked with executives. Yeah. Uh, it was totally... Uh, totally That's amazing. For me. Yes, and I can see the powerful, I can see the powerful combination of that, Gwendolyn, because using the I need approach where you get that focus and that drive forward. And then you combine that with not managers, supervisors, but leaders of improvement. And you've got some powerful energy moving forward. Yes. And you've had an experience of that. You, you were just saying what happened to you in Ampole. Yeah. I wrote that down because it's an unusual name. Um, the thing about visuality and the thing about eye-driven is that it actually, the entire paradigm of visual information sharing, workplace visuality, is about shifting identity. And that is what we see in some going on since uh, the early 1980s, when these ideas came from Japan, Japan, which was under so much pressure, they had to shift their identity because the identity that they were embracing got them into World War II and got them really smashed. So they needed to find a new identity for themselves that had dignity and power because the Japanese people have never not been powerful. Yeah. Their first their first encounter with the West was powerful, but their fifth encounter with the West was devastating, but they were still so hot on the inside, as calm as they may be and serene as they may be on the outside. Um, if you have any Japanese friends, you know who they really yeah. are. So the shift in identity is what all of our work is about. It's the work that you're doing with strategic associates, the work that I'm doing in visuality, people in surf are doing it, the people in AME are doing it, the Shingo Pride, shifting identity because it needs to shift. And that's what's happened. That's hap what's happened to us with COVID. Yeah. You know, everything's changed. The, yeah. the very foundation of who we are yeah. has changed or is in the process of changing even as we speak. So it's so exciting to be in this work. Yeah. It's so much, the money comes. The money comes. Well, but what do you do with the fear? Mm. What do you do? People are afraid. Yeah. We get very strong. Well, yeah. And you need to, and like you've been saying, Gwendolyn, if we can use your visual leadership approach and build the skills to channel it towards an I need vision and then help people form their own. I want. Take that, I want. Take that for the, fear. For the senior leader, it's really I want. It's it's more than it's, I need. It's so truly, I want, I want this uh, because it's a vision, and and you have to love and want something that isn't there but can be, mm. and that's where the great thrust forward is. You're mm. embracing the future. It's yeah. very very compelling. And, help. and there are many, many people who do this. If you listen to Billy Taylor, who's one of our American leaders, he is on fire about what is possible. And we say it has to happen through people. But uh, these structures, I, want to, I just want to get back to this point so you understand. It isn't the passion 
it's the passion pushed into these structures that create the forged blade, the tempered steel, you know, the, the, the edge that cuts this beautiful instrument, this human who has agility and flexibility and is very, very capable because that fire, it burns, but it burns bright mm. and it tempers, it tempers the metal. I, I, I want uh, to be a part of helping people uh, encompass that. Yeah. And, 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 and uh, I'm writing a book. It's called um, The Eye of the Leader, meaning eye-driven, not this eye. No. The Eye of the Leader, the Principles and Practices of Visual Leadership. And, and there aren't, for me, there aren't any executive tracks. It's a shortcoming in our current lean model. We talk about leader standard work. Oh, you're so right. But <laughs> let's find yeah. uh, a frame for that that inspires and yeah. allows us to make decisions. Well, I really, I really love the work you're doing, Gwendolyn. I'm looking forward to that new book. I'm definitely going to be getting a copy and reading and learning more. Gwendolyn, how can people reach out to you if they want to connect and learn more mm -hmm. right now? Yes. Certainly through our website, visualworkplace.com, and there's contact at visualworkplace.com. Um, and what I'm looking for is organizations or people who want to go through this process. I'm happy to do it online in small groups, small consortia of executive leaders. We don't have to do it on site, but I would love for some executive leaders to look at themselves and say, I actually want to, to feel greater strength and greater power and greater um, safety in my own decision-making, safety in the risks I want to take. Because these visual constructs, and I've only shown you one of them, there's the OSIT, the X-type matrix, the roadmap, and there's some things you can do with metrics uh, in a war room that is very powerful. Not an obey room, but an actual war room that is driven by the executive leader. These these are all waiting. Uh, so that they can get in touch with me there, and I'm eager to uh, do this with whoever raises their hand and says, let's go. I really, yeah. It would be my honor. Well, and I'm, we, I'm good at this. Yeah, well, everything we've covered and spoken about, it's certainly timely, isn't it? Time to help organizations, you know, build that focus and that real vision for the future and help turn fear and uncertainty into energy and drive towards that vision and that common aligned goals. Beautifully said. Yes. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Thank well, you thank so much for, for your questions and for this conversation. It's always so instructive for me. I, yeah. I learned so much. Thank, thank you, Gwendolyn. Thanks for helping us create a better future. I really value your time and knowledge. Bye for now. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. There are two key takeaways for me from this episode. One, I want leadership approach. And secondly, helping others align their plan. The I want leadership approach to planning Gwendolyn spoke about is so powerful when combined with my second key takeaway of helping others form and develop their own aligned plan. A leader can draw on macro and micro information to define their vision, purpose, goals, and strategic focus areas. The key then is helping others form their plan aligned to this top line plan. 
As the planning process cascades through the organisation, plans become more project-based and then tactic and measure-focused at the front line. Out of this approach comes an aligned, motivated organisation at all levels as everyone owns and is accountable for their part in achieving the overall plan. Thanks again for your time and amazing insights, Gwendolyn. Talk soon. Bye for now.